0: Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, I want to wish a condolences to um, Jimmy Rave's family. If you don't know who Jimmy Rave is, Jimmy Rave was a professional wrestler that was on TNA in the 20, what, 20 set two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight era, probably through two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten of Impact or TNA wrestling, however you want to remember that company. Um he was part of the group, well the team of Rock and Rave infection. It was him and Lance Hoyt, better known as Lance Archer in AEW. And at one point in time, for a good solid time, they were managed by Chrissy Hemming um jimmy ray was a guy that was known around the independent circle apparently he was a good professional wrestler not apparently he was a good professional wrestler but he was just known around on the independence um he's wrestled for full impact pro and ring of honor and the nwa whenever the nwa had little territories here and there and as i said he wrestled in TNA, and he even did a couple appearances on WWE's um, Sunday Night Heat program whenever they did do it, like in the 2005, 6, 7 era. Um, Jimmy Rave died... They don't technically know what he died from yet, but we do know that he did suffer from a bad case of MRSA, and from my understanding, MRSA is a bad, severe case of staph infection, and he had... uh, He had a couple of his limbs amputated. He had one of his arms amputated, and he lost both of his legs, and he died just four days before his 39th birthday. And I'm not saying all his amputations all happened at the exact same time. His one arm, he lost his arm, I believe, a couple years ago, but he just lost his two legs this year. So, yeah, Jimmy Ray was dealt a real bad hand in life. I'm just gonna be blown with you. If you lost your arm and then both of your legs and you die, if I'm gonna say it, I'm not I'm not saying that he died from MRSA, but we don't know that yet. But a bad staff infection to cause you to lose an arm and two of your legs, yeah, we kinda can of make a great estimate a great like like a great guess. But I'm not trying to do that here, okay? I don't wanna say nothing bad about Jimmy Rave. I don't want to say nothing bad about how he did die or anything of that nature. I just know that my man had a bad hand dealt to him because when you lose an arm and both of your legs, that sucks to high heavens. So for me, I don't know how he did it for that short period of time that he did have to deal with all of his limbs being gone except for one of his arms. And um, yeah, I just want to wish his family the best in his life. He leaves a daughter behind And she has a GoFundMe set up for him. If you can go to his GoFundMe and um, give anything you can to Jimmy Rave's daughter to try to put him, to bury him to rest, that'll be great. Um, But again, professional wrestling is a dangerous situation. Remember, it's not always glitz and glamour. You have to start off somewhere. And Jimmy Rave talked about on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho, that how he got MRSA because... Um, he wrestled in dirty rings in the early 2000s, and wrestling rings, even in the early 2000s, sometimes weren't the cleanest. When you look back and you go to YouTube or you go to uh these, some of these video on demands for either from High Spot On Demand or some other type of wrestling uh, video library on demand a streaming service, not the big companies like WWE. WWE keeps their ring sanitized and. Just stable and all that type of stuff because if they didn't they would have a big lawsuit on their hands just want to throw that out there Um Jimmy Rave and all these other professional wrestlers that wrestled on the independents in the early 2000s they took a lot of risk of wrestling in certain wrestling rings that weren't the cleanest they were dirty and they had to Like, make sure that they didn't get no scabs or wounds cut open on these dirty rings because they can get a staph infection. I didn't know what a staph infection was until I heard about it from uh, Brian Danielson when he did like an interview like mad years ago. And he talked about how he had a staph infection and he felt sick to death, like a deathly, sickly type deal with staph infection, and that he had to be out of the ring for a good while of time. I can't remember the interview, but I remember reading about it, but that just brought it back to me whenever I read about how uh, Jimmy Rave had MRSA. It was just real, real uh, sad, and it's just real depressing when you hear and read what happened to Jimmy Rave. But again, to the point, uh, professional wrestling is not glitz and glamour all the time. You have to start somewhere. It's going to be, if you're not born into a wrestling family and they don't set you up with the hookup going into either aka back in the time wwe if you were a second or third generation superstar you had to go off and do your own things to start off on the independence at certain times you had to wrestle in dirty uh, rings and if you talk to any professional wrestler they probably would tell you yeah they wrestled in some dirty rings before so I just want to that be known. Always take care of your body. Please watch out for whatever you're doing. If you're not, even if even if you're not in the wrestling ring, just watch out for your body. Keep your body clean. Don't, like, put your mouth on dirty things. Don't uh have an open cut and then, like, put your cut next to something that's dirty and you don't know nothing about it because you don't know what type of infection is going into your wound and might affect you. I mean, it's just a nasty, dirty situation. But, again... Uh, Rest in peace to Jimmy Rave. I want to wish my condolences to his daughter and the rest of his family that are dealing with this right now. And he died like before he was 39, four days before he was 39. So again, my condolences to Jimmy Rave's family and everybody that knew Jimmy Rave and also the professional wrestling world did send their love and support to Jimmy Rave's daughter and they did send out like tweets and messages on Twitter and everything else showing their uh, love to Jimmy Rave and talking about Jimmy Rave uh, throughout this whole week. So with that, I just want to throw that out there. But now that I've got that out the way, let's start with the show. Raw opens up with an in-ring promo from both Bobby Lashley and MVP. Lashley talks about how last week he attacked Big E, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens because they disrespected him by not mentioning his name for being added into their WWE Championship match at day one. MVP says that this generation of superstars are nothing but whiners and complainers, while Bobby Lashley doesn't whine nor complain. He just goes out there and attacks and takes whatever he wants. MVP encourages both Sonia Deville and Adam Pearce to add Bobby Lashley to the WWE Championship match at day one. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins come out, and they say that Bobby Lashley hasn't earned anything, and they both agree that Bobby Lashley shouldn't be added into their match at day one. Big E comes out and says that well, that while the two of you might be afraid to face Bobby, I am not. Then you see Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce come out and they announce that Bobby Lashley will be added to the WWE Championship match at day one. But he has to defeat all members, well, all competitors in one on one singles matches tonight, which means Bobby will have to face one person after another after another all throughout tonight's uh, programming. Bobby accepts the challenge, and the first person up is Kevin Owens. But before we get to that match, we have Riddle. He's backstage looking at the sports blazer that he uh, had last week, and Randy walks in on Riddle, and Randy's basically making sure that Riddle understands that he needs to be focusing on his match with Otis up next. So we go to that match. It's Riddle with Randy Orton in his corner, and Otis with Chad Gable in his corner. Otis wins the match by pinfall when Riddle was looking to hit uh, Otis with RKO, but Otis shoved Riddle into the ropes and then pops up Riddle in the, in the air and then catches him with the World's Strongest Slam for the win. After the match, Randy quickly runs into the ring and tries to RKO Otis, but Otis shoves Randy into Chad Gable, but Randy was able to hit the RKO on Chad Gable. Otis then hits a back elbow to Randy in the face and then gets Chad out of the ring. It seems to me that uh, Alpha Academy is your next Raw Tag Team, uh, like, challengers for the Raw Tag Team Championships. And I understand they're still doing this RK Bro tournament, but they should just scrap that and just hurry up and just give uh, Alpha Academy that uh, Tag Team Championship match because that's where we're headed with this. Anyway, Bianca Belair goes against Dewdrop in a one on one competition, a rematch of last week's match. Bianca wins this time by pinfall when Dewdrop was climbing up the turnbuckles, but Bianca got up and hit Dewdrop from behind and then carried her and powerbombed her. Bianca then went to the top turnbuckle and hit a 450 splash on Dewdrop for the win. And after the match, Bianca Belair was on the entrance ramp celebrating her victory and then she was attacked by Dewdrop. So we're continuing this feud between Bianca Belair and Dewdrop, and I understand why they're doing it. It's the holiday time. You gotta. Fill up your programming with something, but I just want this feud to end because this is not doing Bianca any favors, and this isn't doing Dude Drop any favors at all, to be honest with you. After this, it's time for Kevin Owens going against Bobby Lashley. Bobby wins the match by submission when Bobby hits Kevin Owens with a spine buster, and as Bobby waits for Kevin Owens to get to his feet to lock in the Hurt Lock, once Bobby was about to lock in the Hurt Lock fully by locking in his fingers together, Kevin Owens taps out, and... Bobby Lashley basically advances on to face his next competitor, which will be Seth Rollins, later on the night. After this, we get an in-ring promo from Becky Lynch. Main point of this, Becky's out here to gloat about how she retained her raw women's championship against Liv Morgan last week. Uh, She claims that the fans are fickle because they'll cheer for the underdogs, but when the underdogs win the championships, they turn their back on the underdogs. The simple yada 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 stuff. Liv Morgan comes out here and she talks about how Becky Lynch cheated last week by grabbing the bottom ropes and talks about how Becky has constantly been doing this, which she has a point, because in Becky's last like matches, she's been winning by that. She beat uh, Charlotte by grabbing the bottom ropes. She beat Bianca Belair by grabbing the bottom ropes. She beat Sasha Banks and Bianca in their triple threat match at Saudi Arabia by grabbing the bottom ropes. So this has basically become Becky's pattern. Liv talks about how she wants a rematch with Becky at day one. Becky tells her that uh, she's upset because she didn't think about grabbing the bottom roll first and how Becky basically just beat her to the punch. Becky then tells Liv that she doesn't have the killer instinct, so to prove Becky wrong, Liv gets in the ring and starts attacking Becky Lynch. She attacks Becky so much that Becky starts rolling out of the ring and Liv Morgan gives chase. Becky, being the veteran that she is, she sends Liv Morgan into the ring steps And then puts Liv's arms inside the ring steps and starts stomping on Liv's arm that's inside the ring step. And as this is happening, you see Liv yelling and shouting in pain. The referees come out from the back and stop this attack. Becky then gets on the mic and tells Liv that if she still wants her match at day one, she's got it. So it was confirmed that at day one, it will be Becky Lynch going against Liv Morgan for the Raw Women's Championship. After this, we go backstage, and AJ Styles is walking by himself, and he's stopped by an interviewer, and they basically ask AJ, is him and Omos cool after last week. AJ mentions how they're going through some uh, pains right now, some growing pains. They're just hitting a rough patch, but AJ isn't ready to throw this team away. AJ says that Omas has massive potential, and when you, you see that type of potential in somebody, you don't just throw away something like that. AJ mentions how he's been in uh, the business so long and that he's seen people like Omos and he just want to give back to the young guys, so he wants to be able to give back to Omos. Omos then walks up on AJ, puts his arm on AJ's shoulder and asks him, are we good? AJ tell- looks at Omos and tells him we're golden and they walk away. I see Omos basically caving in AJ's skull or beating up AJ to the point that he just left AJ's up with a double-handed choke slam in the ring and just basically drops AJ. That's the only way I see this thing ending. After this, we get a video of Dana Brooke and Reggie earlier in in the day walking around in the city. Reggie is telling Dana Brooke that she has to remain vigilant if she wants to keep being the 24-7 championship because people are always going to be coming after her. And as they're walking past a snowman in a tree, a snowman sneezes, and then the tree tells the snowman, bless you. And it's basically a disguise from R-Truth and Akira Tozawa, and they're basically trying to run and grab the champ- 24-7 championship from Dana Brooke, but Reggie holds them off as Dana runs away. Tamina Snooker comes out of nowhere and tries to grab Dana, and which she does, but Dana was able to get out of the, grab- the hold and run away with the 24-7 championship. Stupid segment, but again, if you're the 24-7 champion, here's the deal you're going to have television time. So what I would suggest for anybody is basically try to get some creative and say, hey, I want to be 24-7 champion and basically have a one-on-one match with somebody. If you want to be a serious match, hey, the 24-7 championship allows that because nobody can attack you during that match. The rules are basically like sanctioned and closed off. Nobody can attack you during that match. It has to be a one-on-one match. There you go. But you at least get camera time, and that's what everybody craves and needs in WWE, camera time. So, if you're needing camera time, go get the 24-7 Championship and challenge in a one-on-one competition. Trust me, you'll be actually be able to actually wrestle with the match that you want to wrestle. That's a little sneak tip that I believe that should be uh, happening a lot more. But anyway, that's just my uh, point of view on things. But I digress. Uh Now it's time for a tag team match. Finn Balor and Damian Priest going against the Dirty Dogs, Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. The Dirty Dogs win the match by pinfall thanks to Austin Theory when Finn Balor was going to the top rope to hit the coup de grace on Dolph Ziggler, but Austin Theory gets on the ring apron and he wants to take a photo. Finn Balor gets off the turnbuckle and on Austin Theory because he hasn't forgot about what Austin did to him last week. So Dolph seizes as an opportunity and hits Finn with a zigzag and then covers him for the win. After this, we get a moment between Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. at the gorilla position. Nikki is apologizing to Rhea for losing their match last week. Rhea tells Nikki that she shouldn't have be ashamed about nothing and she shouldn't apologize for anything. Rhea then goes off to start reading off Nikki's accomplishments like winning the money in the bank contract and beating Charlotte Flair for the Raw Championship, something that Rhea hasn't been able to do. Rhea tells Nikki that she wants the old Nikki back, not this Nikki that walls in pity and doubt, but the w- Nikki that was full of confidence, the superhero, the one that was willing to just uplift everybody else. That's the tag partner she, she wants back. Nikki thanks Rhea for her kind words, and now it's time for Rhea Ripley's match. Rhea Ripley with Nikki A.S.H. in her corner, going against Selena Vega with uh, her tag team partner and one half of the women's tag team champions, Carmella, in her corner. Selena wins the match by pinfall thanks to shenanigans. Carmella was on the ring apron trying to distract the referee as Rhea was dominating the match. Nikki gives chase to Carmella as Carmella gets into the ring. Nikki tries to get into the ring, but Carmella super kicks Nikki in the head and Rhea uh, Try to grab Carmella, but Carmella was able to slip out of the ring. Rhea then goes over to check on her tag partner, Nikki, to see if she's okay. Then Selena goes behind Rhea and hits her with a running knees behind the head, and Rhea's head hits the bottom turnbuckle. And this leads to Selena rolling up Rhea Ripley for the win. Again, another rivalry that's meant to fill up time because it's the holiday times. You gotta have something for programming. I get it. But again, this feud needs to end. Hurry. After this, we get Seth Rollins backstage. He's getting himself ready for his match with Bobby Lashley. Kevin Owens walks up on him and tells him that he has an idea and a plan to take care of Lashley. And he needs Seth Rollins to basically listen to his plan. Seth tells Kevin Owens that he doesn't need his help beating Lashley tonight and that he's going to beat Lashley. So now Seth Rollins' time to go against Bobby Lashley. Seth wins the match by disqualification thanks to Kevin Owens. Seth was getting dominated in the match by Bobby, and Bobby hits Seth with a belly-to-belly suplex. Seth rolls out of the ring, and Kevin Owens runs down to the ring, and he stares at Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins stares at Kevin Owens. Seth Rollins yells at Kevin Owens, tell him, I don't need your help, go to the back. Kevin Owens looks at Bobby, and then he looks back at Seth, and he punches Seth in the face, and then Seth falls to the ground, and then Kevin Owens starts stomping on Seth Rollins. The referee sees this, He calls for the bell, and he calls for DQ. And if you remember what I said earlier, Bobby Lashley has to win every single match to be included into the match at day one for the WWE Championship. And the referee announces that Seth Rollins has won this match by disqualification, meaning Bobby Lashley lost the match. Seth Rollins understood exactly what Kevin Owens did at this moment when he hears the ring announcers, and he is celebrating that now Bobby Lashley will not be included into their match at day one. Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce comes out and they said that was a clever plan but that's not happening tonight. So they have the match restarted and they declare that every other match that Bobby Lashley has tonight will be a no disqualification match. The referee rings the bell. Seth Rollins gets hit with a spear by Bobby Lashley and Bobby covers him for the pinfall and gets the win. So Bobby has one more match later tonight and that match will will decide if Bobby will be Added to the WWE Championship match at day one. Now it's time for Austin Theories and Mr. McMahon segment. The man med- this segment was garbage. It was trash. I get it. Again, there's another one of those. I get it. Fill up time. You gotta fill up time. It's holiday time. No one wants to do nothing. Yeah, everybody's uh memory bank of ideas have run low. But this whole thing of Mr. McMahon trying to like like really school Austin theory. I don't like it. It's just not, it's not for me, dog. It's not for me. This one just ain't doing it. It ain't hitting. Uh Vince tells Austin that the most powerful weapon in this business is the pencil. And it's not the lead part, it is the eraser part because anybody can be erased off the show. So there you go. Now it's time for Miss TV. Ms. is in the ring with his wife, Maurice, and the Miz presents a video package of someone that he says that should be inducted into the 2022 class of the Hall of Fame, and the video plays, and it happens to be none other than The Miz. Uh, the video plays, and it talks about how The Miz went from real world to come over to WWE. He has All of his accomplishments being United States Champion, and Continental Champion, Tag Team Champion, Money in the Bank winner, WWE Champion, having a hot wife, Maurice, having children, All these things, right? Once the video is overplaying, Miz and Maurice get a glass of champagne each, and they toast the idea of the Miz being in the 2022 Hall of Fame. Edge comes out and stops his host's raid. Edge gets in the ring and tells Miz that he has seen guys like the Miz fizzle out. He then proceeds to tell Miz that Miz is a future Hall of Famer, without a doubt, but Miz has become so consumed with what people have been saying about him that now the Miz is doubting himself. Miz is now looking at Edge, as Edge tells The Miz, you wanted my help back in 2006, and I didn't give it to you, so now I'm going to give it to you at day one. I'm going to teach you a lesson, okay? The Miz throws his drink into the Edge's face, and then he starts punching Edge, and Miz was able to get a couple shots off, but Edge was able to kill that whenever he hit the execution, which is basically an elevated DDT on The Miz. Edge then clears the ring out of all the props that's in the ring, and he's looking for Miz to get up so he can spear him. Once the Miz gets up, Edge is running right forward towards the Miz, but the Miz puts his wife in front of him, and Edge has to stop in his track. And he look as he's looking at Maurice. The Miz punches Edge right in the eye, and then hits Edge with a skull crusher finale. As Edge is laid out on the ring. Miz goes to his wife and lifts up their arm in victory like they have done something. Maurice pulls her arm away from the Miz and acts and starts yelling at the Miz. Miz looks at Maurice and he asks her, What are you doing? What's, what's wrong with you? Maurice tells Miz, I'm the mother of your two kids. Miz tells her, This is what we've been doing. This is what we do. Why are you acting? What what what's different now? Why are you acting this way? Maurice slaps the Miz and then he then she walks out of the ring and starts walking up the back. Miz does what any other man does. He falls behind his wife and he tries to figure out what he did wrong and he tries to just cool Maurice down. Now we go to Big E in the backstage area as he's getting himself pumped up for his match against Bobby Lashley next. Both Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins welcome up to Big E and tell him that, that he's our last hope. So Bobby won't get into their match at day one. And they said that they got a plan to make sure that Big E wins tonight. Biggie tells him, listen, if you want this match to still be a triple threat match at day one, let me go out there and handle Lashley. Do not interfere in my match. Now it's time for the main event, no disqualification match. Biggie going against Bobby Lashley with MVP in his corner. Bobby Lashley wins the match by pinfall when Sephiroth and uh, Kevin Owens come down to the ring. But Bobby Lashley and Big E were able to put both of them through a tables. Big E puts Kevin Owens through a table uh, by hitting him with a urinagi, And Bobby Lashley spears Seth Rollins through a table. Big E gets on his feet and he's shouting at Bobby Lashley to get on his feet so they can finish this match one-on-one. Uh, but what Big E doesn't know is that MVP got into the ring and he hits Big E behind his right knee, the one that was been injured since Roman Reigns attacked it at Survivor Series, and Bobby Lashley spears Big E right in the chest, covers him, wins the match. So at day one, it will now be a fatal four-way match with Bobby Lashley, Big E, Kevin Owens, and Seth Rollins for the WWE Championship, and that is your Raw Highlights of the Week. Now we go on to NXT. NXT shows a video of Grayson Waller exiting out of his vehicle and as soon as he exits out, there are fans outside of the NXT building booing him because of what he did to Johnny Gargano last week. Grayson Waller is playing this whole thing up and he even pulls out his camera phone to record the fans booing him because he's going to show it on social media because Grayson Waller just wants nothing but the views. The first match of the night for NXT is a no holds bar match between Cameron Grimes and Duke Hudson. Cameron Grimes was able to win the match by pinfall thanks to Duke Hudson's own vanity. Duke Hudson had the match won when he put uh, Cameron Grimes through a poker table, but Cameron Grimes kicked out of the pinfall. Uh, Duke Hudson went underneath the ring and grabbed hair clippers and wanted to cut Cameron Grimes' hair as basically a payback for Grimes cutting Duke Hudson's hair at War Games. Grimes kicks Duke Hudson in the face and then hits it with a poison rana, which is basically a reverse Hurricane rana, and then hits Duke with the cave in for the win. After the match, Cameron Grimes walks over to Duke Hudson and pulls off that ridiculous, god awful blonde wig, exposing Duke Hudson's own baldy. So Duke Hudson has went bald, and that's it for this match. After this, we go backstage to an interview with Corey Jade. Cora J mentions how the medical doctor has cleared her to wrestle tonight against Dakota Kai. Cora sees this as her way as one step closer to becoming NXT Women's Champion. Dakota walks in and tells Cora that Raquel is using her. She's been down this path with Raquel and Dakota is explaining how Raquel does it to Cora. Cora tells Dakota that she doesn't need her advice because Cora sees that sees this as if she beats Dakota tonight, she's one step closer to challenging Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship, and that's the end of this interview. We go to in-ring, and it's Grayson Waller inside the ring, and he's now letting the fans know that he has no remorse for attacking a legend in NXT. They don't say Johnny Gargano's name because his contract has been up with WWE, so they're no longer going to reference Johnny Gargano by name on NXT. Same thing with Kyle O'Reilly. Let me give you a little hint. Uh, Hint on something in professional wrestling. Whenever somebody's out of the business, well, not out of the business, but out of a certain uh, place, a certain company, they no longer say that person's name. They no longer say the person's name because I don't. I believe they probably don't want to owe the person royalties or whatever the case may be, or even make the name relevant. So that's the reason why they didn't say Johnny Gargano's name here, and they didn't say Kyler Riley's name later on in the night. Uh, But Grayson Waller just basically says that he has no remorse for attacking the legend. And he's playing it up for the people that could constantly boom. And Grayson Waller's feeling the boos. He's embracing in the boos. He talked about how last week he submitted himself as the now of NXT. And he calls NXT his house. Grayson Waller pulls up tweets from what people have been saying about him last week. And he pulls up two tweets in particular. Wade Barrett. And Vic Joseph's tweet. He goes over to Wade Barrett and tells him that you called me a piece of crap last week on social media. But let me tell you something. It's not 2010 anymore. And if it was, I will be able to beat you up right now in front of you. And you won't be able to do a thing about it. And then he goes over to Vic Joseph and he looks at Vic and he tells him, I beat up your best friend in front of you. You didn't do nothing to me. You went to Twitter and complained about it. But I beat up your best friend in front of you and you I was in your face and you did nothing. That tells me what type of man you are. And then he goes over and he finishes off by saying that he doesn't need nobody. He doesn't need friends. He doesn't need family. The only person that he needs is Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller is basically what The Miz would be if The Miz were to debut in a big company in 2021. A guy that is revered and looked at as a reality television guy popping into professional wrestling. That's exactly what Grayson Waller is. He's exactly what The Miz would be in 2021, if The Miz did debut in 2021. So that's why I said The Miz should be mentoring Grayson Waller. So I hope after this whole Edge feud, Miz does come down to NXT and mentors Grayson Waller to really capitalize on the whole, I'm better than everybody else deal, I'm the superstar, and everything else. That's what I'm hoping for. Anyway, after this, we get video playing of Diamond Mine and their gym training and they talk about how tonight they're going to divide and conquer. Ivy Nile will go out and win her match. The Cree brothers will stay in the back. And Roderick Strong will beat Braun Breaker tonight all by himself. Now it's time for Ivy Niles' match up against Amari Miller But Ivy Niles with Malcolm Bivins in her corner. That doesn't matter because Ivy was the match by submission because Ivy was able to lock in the Dragon Sleeper on Amari Miller. Nothing really to talk about here. We get that Ivy Nile is supposed to be the future of the NXT women's division, so that's all you do need to know. After this, we get a backstage interview with Zion Quinn. Zion talks about how Electra Lopez is playing games, and he talks about how Electro played games with him last week when uh, he had his match against Santos Escobar. He says now that he knows the rules of the game, game on. And Zion leaves the interview, and as the interviewer is about to throw it back to the commentary team, Robert Stone stops her. He gets upset with her because she sees him standing next to her and she just doesn't care. He then goes on a tirade by saying nobody in NXT takes him seriously. So he says that from now on, people will be taking him serious. Von Wagner then walks in and just talks about how last week one body fell and it will continue next week when another does. And if anybody has a problem with it, they can say it to his face. He looks at Robert Stone and then he walks away. So again, I get it. Von Wagner's supposed to be this guy, this tough uh, guy in the NXT. I hope they do something with him because if not, this whole Kyle O'Reilly thing as the last uh, of the veteran legends to really like send off somebody on the right path. He they could have did it with somebody else other than Von Wagner, but we'll see. It I hope they do something with Von. He has an incredible upside. He's a tall dude. He looks like. Well, a mixture, somebody had it it perfectly right, a mixture of Greg Khali and Edge, if you look at Von Wagner's face. So, I mean, he has perfect height, and he's a professional wrestler's son. So, I mean, we only can see what will happen with Von Wagner later down the line. Anyway, MSK has a video with Riddle, and Riddle is pulling uh, items all out of MSK's fanny pack. Riddle pulls out a baseball bat a road hazard cone, and John Cena's Spinner United States Championship, amongst other things. Riddle tells MSK that if they want to be tag team champions again, they have to dig deep within themselves and find what they are missing. Riddle then digs deep into the fanny pack and pulls out a scooter. MSK is so excited about this, and they're saying, how can we get one? They put their hands into this bag, and Riddle tells them, you gotta dig deep, bro and they pulled out two scooters, and they ride out with Riddle. Again, I get why they're doing this. Riddle seems like the perfect replacement guy since they got rid of John Morrison, but nobody's going to tell me this spot right here wasn't made for John Morrison. They wouldn't have had him riding off in a freaking scooter, but he would have been the shaman for MSK. There's no doubt about it. After this, it's time for Harlan's in-ring debut. Harlan comes out with Joe Gacy in his corner going against a scrub. Harlan wins the match by pinfall, and it was none but dominating fashion when Harlan delivers a backdrop-slash-side slam uh, type maneuver for the win. After the match, Joe Gacy gets on the ring apron and asks Harlan, does he feel any better? Harlan shakes his head no, and then Joe Gacy, with a menacing smile on his face, looks over at the scrub's body. And then Harlan walks over to the scrub, grabs the scrub's head, and starts using the uh, scrub's head as a bouncing ball on the mat. Starts bouncing it up and down off the mat until referees and backstage personnel start coming down to the ring and yelling at Harlan to let go. Harlan doesn't let go until Joe Gacy gets in the ring and taps him on the shoulder. And then he lets go, and then him and Joe are walking to the backstage as referees and personnel are still reprimanding Harlan for his actions. We then see Ellie Knight pull up into the arena in his car, and the cameraman asks LA Knight, did he see what, what Grayson Waller had to say? Because Ellie Knight does have a beef with Waller. Main point of this, LA Knight says that Grayson Waller is a crybaby because he got his girl, or a wannabe girl, took her from last week by LA Knight because she was filling Knight, and she got into his car. Ellie Knight tells the cameraman that, yo, tell Waller I'm looking for him. Don't make me find him. Uh, we then go back to Harlan and Joe Gacy being flanked by referees and personnel as they're walking towards some stairs. Again, they're still reprimanding Harlan for his actions in uh for his after his match actions. And Baxter's personnel member Brian Kendrick puts his hand on Harlan's chest. Harlan turns his head over to Brian and locks his arm right on Brian's neck, and he does it to the point that he throws Brian off the stairs, so now the referees and other backs, personnel, are looking at Brian Kendrick to see that he's okay, while Joe Gacy and Harlan just looks at the carnage that Harlan just basically did. Now it's time for in-ring competition. Cora J going against Dakota Kai with Mandy Rose on commentary. Cora J wins the match by pinfall, thanks to Dakota Kai's own greed. Dakota had a match won, but Dakota decided to go outside under the ring and grab a shovel, and then Dakota tried to use the shovel in the match, but the referee grabbed the shovel away from Dakota Kai, and this allowed Cora Jade the perfect opportunity to sneak up behind Dakota, roll her up for the win, and that's exactly what happens. After the match, Dakota hits Cora Jade with a big boot to the face, and then goes back outside to grab the shovel. And as she's about to attack Cora Jade, Raquel Gonzalez comes out from backstage and chases off Dakota Kai, and Raquel gives chase to him. So now Cora Jade's in the ring by herself, and then the rest of the ladies of toxic attraction walk down to the ring. Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. Gigi Dolan is wearing a Jimmy Rave approved shirt. It says it right there on the shirt. It was Jimmy Rave shirt. Jimmy Rave is an independent professional wrestler that we lost this week. Anyway, continuing on. This was a distraction, so Mandy could hit Cora from behind with the NXT Women's Championship. And then Mandy picks up Cora and then grabs her by her bad arm and delivers an arm breaker. So she basically continuously uh, wound and basically give some more, uh, I would say, give her an advantage over Cora J whenever she does have a match with Cora J for the NXT Women's Championship of this, we go backstage, to Grace Waller is walking around backstage, and people are disgusted by him. Every person he walks by, they're giving him a piece of their mind, and they're, they're just walking away from him. Io Shirai at one point walks up to Waller and just gives him the business, but nobody can understand what she's saying because she is speaking nothing but Japanese to Waller, so Waller decides to pull up a stool and sit there and put a smile on his face and listen to Eo just basically yell at him in Japanese. Uh, we get a video playing of Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai in the bat in the parking lot, and the referees are separating both of these ladies. Later in the night, we get Raquel Gonzalez uh, in the women's locker room, and she basically announces that next week it will be herself going against Dakota Kai in a street fight. There you have it. After this, we get a Tony D'Angelo's match going against Andre Chase. Keynote. Tony is still walking around with Pete Dunne's mouthpiece inside a glass enclosing. Because, remember, this is still the same mouthpiece that Tony D'Angelo took from Pete Dunne at War Games. Tony wins the match by pinfall when Tony was able to deliver a float over uh, Northern Lights suplex, then hit the swinging fisherman suplex for the win. After the match, Tony gets on the mic and says that since he's gotten to NXT, he has done everything he said he was going to do. Tony gets on by trash-talking Pete Dunn some more, and then Pete Dunn decides to walk out and tell Tony that he has a lot to say for a man that has no track record. Pete Dunn then gets in the ring and says he wants to fight Tony right now. Tony tells him that, I'm not going to do that tonight. I got business to handle, but we can handle this next week, all right? And he tries to leave out of the ring. That's what the impression that he's giving towards Pete Dunn. Because as soon as he puts his microphone down, he tries to sneak attack tag Pete Dunne from behind. But Pete Dunne, being a veteran to this, he grabs Tony's hand and he grabs his fingers and then he like snaps them. So Tony rolls out a ring in agonizing pain because his fingers just got snapped. And he's looking at the mouthpiece. And Pete Dunne looks at the mouthpiece. They both try to run over to the mouthpiece, but Pete Dunne makes it there first. He puts his foot on the... Uh, Enclosing around his mouthpiece, he stomps on it and then he blows the rest of the, the breeze off of his mouthpiece and puts the mouthpiece back in his mouth. So it does get clarified that Pete Dunne will go against uh, Tony D'Angelo next week on NXT. After this, we see Grayson Waller walking into the men's locker room and Braun Breaker is there just bouncing up and down, trying to get himself pumped up for his main event match. And other wrestlers are in that locker room as well. They're just trying to just put clothes away, just look busy. Grayson tries to uh, talk to one of the other superstars there, but they didn't want to talk to him. He then tries to talk to Braun and mentions how they were both uh, in the war games as tag partners. Braun tells him that he needs to get his stuff out of this locker room because nobody wants him here. He's not welcome. Waller says, that's how you all feel. They say, yep. So, Waller gets his stuff, and he tells them that superstars get their own locker room anyway. And he tells Braun to remember that. And he walks away. So, now we throw it back to the ring. It's a one-on-one competition now between Boa and Idris and Nafi. Boa wins the match by pinfall. When Boa has the tongue in death grip locked in on Idris, and Idris locks and drops to his knees. And then Boa was able to hit a spinning roundhouse kick on Idris' head for the win. After this, we go back to the parking lot area and there's Grayson Waller walking around Ellie Knight's car. Grayson Waller gets into the car and he mentions how Ellie Knight talked about how Grayson just wants the views, right? The views, the views. He tells the cameraman that, guess what, you're going to really enjoy this view. And then he drives away uh, Ellie Knight's car. And then as soon as the car pulls off and you see it, we see Knight laid out in the parking lot. So we're assuming that Grayson Waller basically laid out LA Knight. Now it's time for a tag team competition. The Grizzly Young Veterans to go against Jacket Time. Remember, Jacket Time is the team that consists of Kushida and Ikemen Yarrow. Anyway, Jacket Time wins the match by pinfall thanks to the Kree Brothers. The Kree Brothers come out to watch the match midway during the match. When the Grizzly Young Veterans were sent out of the ring by Jacket Time, the Kree Brothers ran up on the Grizzly Young Veterans, but stopped just enough and long enough so that the Time were able to hit their uh, moonsault and suicide dive combo on the Grizzly Young Veterans. Kashida then threw James Drake into the ring, and then Time were able to deliver a Swanton-slash-reverse-DDT combo for the win. This is the only reason why the uh, Kree brothers were out there. Last week, the Grizzly Young Veterans came out during uh Kree brothers' match, and they caused the Cree brothers to win by accident. But nevertheless, they still caused them to lose. So, that's exactly what the Cree brothers are out here to do. They caused uh, that team, basically, to lose. After this, we see Roderick Strong and Michael Bivens walking backstage. And they're stopped by Trick Williams and the North American champion, Carmelo Hayes. Trick calls Roderick Strong the champion, but not the A champion. And he points over to Carmelo. Carmelo tells Roderick, "Don't miss in his match tonight against Braun Breaker." Malcolm tells Carmelo and Trick that they're going to need luck whenever they have to deal with what they got to deal with next. And they walk away. And Trick and Cam- uh, Carmelo don't know what Malcolm is meaning by this. And then Trick notices a photo. He picks up the photo, and on the photo we see Trick Williams running away from Dexter Loomis. Carmella tells Trick not to worry about that, and then he got something for else for them both to be doing tonight. Trick puts the f- picture down on the floor, and they walk away. And then once the camera points down at the picture again, is again a cartoon of Trick Williams running away from Dexter Loomis. But underneath it, it has Trick versus Dexter, and it does get announced that next week it will be Dexter Loomis going against Trick Williams on NXT. Now it's time for the main event of NXT: Braun Breaker. Going against Roderick Strong with Malcolm Bivens in this corner. Braun wins the match by pinfall when he nails Roderick with a press power slam for the win. Same move he's been using. Uh, after the match, Tomasa Chapa attacks Braun Breaker from behind and hits the Willow's Bell. If you don't know what the Willow's Bell is, guess what? It's another version of Randy Orton's draping uh, second rope DDT. There's your uh, thing right there, the way you can picture it. Tommaso tells Braun that at War Games, Braun might have won the battle, but this is a war. And then he tells Braun Breaker in his ear, welcome back to the deep end, as he raises up the NXT Championship. So, that's been clarified. We are going to get our NXT match up uh, for the NXT Championship against Braun and Tommaso. Do I know when? No. It was not announced, but after that, you can best believe we're going to get our uh, match up. But anyway... That is the end of your NXT highlights of the week. Let's talk about AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite opens up with the AEW World Championship match between Brian Danielson and the champion Hangman Adam Page. The match went to a time limit draw. If you don't know what that means, the championship matches usually last an hour or if it's at the end of the television show, they say this match is for the remaining of the time that's left on television. But since it started off, Uh, the first match of the show, it went a whole entire hour, and that's the usual length of a championship match, but it went to a time limit draw. Um, This is the longest match in AEW Dynamite history. They did mention that. This match was great. I mean, both Hangman and Bryan Dancer put all of their heart into this match. You tell that both men really wanted to win this thing. Both men really wanted to be the world champion, but it just wasn't meant to be tonight. Um, Brian Danielson is really one of the best in the world. He's literally one of the greatest wrestlers in any era. You could put him in the 80s, and he still would have been a Matt Technical Classical uh, guy. He would have gave you classics with the Flares, and probably with Harley Race and the Terry Funks, he would have gave you that. In the 90s, with the early version of Shawn Michaels, he would have gave you a classic with Shawn, he would have gave you a classic with Brett. He would have gave you a classic with the Stingers. And even with Brian Pillman, I see that he would have really clashed with Brian Pillman real nicely. (sighs) Brian Danielson really can make anybody look good. And it's not saying that Hangman Page isn't a great professional wrestler. It's not saying that at all. But just when you have Brian Danielson in there, and his wealth of knowledge, and his wealth of knowing how to really pull you in and make you become a better professional wrestler... This is one of these matches right here. Heyman Page is a great professional wrestler. He just got elevated up a little bit more in this match with Brian Danielson. Uh, I can't explain to you how great this match is. I need you guys to really go to Dynamite. If there's anything you're going to watch on Dynamite, watch this match. And if anything else, watch the ending. Also, the Dynamite Diamond Ring between Dante Martin and MJF. But I'll get to that um, in some time. But again, great way to start off Dynamite with the World Championship match. Personally, I thought they were going to end Dynamite this week with it, but they started it off with it, and I understand now why. But again, great title match. Hangman Page retains the title since it went to a title-limit draw, but best believe we're going to get a rematch somewhere down the line because guess what? Nobody got pinned or submitted, so we're going to get a rematch for this. Uh, After this match, we would get a backstage uh, promo from the Super Click with Bobby Fish. The main point of this is that they challenged the best friends to an eight-man tag on Rampage, but Cole does let the Bucks know that next week on Christmas, on the Christmas episode, the Christmas edition of Dynamite, he will be giving them a present that they won't forget. People are speculating that this present is the newly released Kyle O'Reilly, him joining in with All Elite Wrestling. We don't know this, and I don't know this. Personally, Kyle O'Reilly kind of teased on Twitter, After the announcement that uh, maybe, but we'll see. After this, we will get an in-ring match between Warlow and Matt Seidel. Warlow had uh, Sean Spears in his corner, and Warlow did win the match by pinfall. Warlow powerbombed Matt Seidel twice. Then Sean Spears got on the mic and told Warlow to pin him because we don't get paid by the hour. But Warlow powerbombed Matt Seidel again, and then he covered him. And then after the match, Sean Spears got in the ring and told Warlow to, hey, man, we don't get paid by an hour. You just do what you got to do and get done. But then he told Warlord to hold the mic. And he started smashing uh, Matt Seidel with the steel chair that he usually carries. And then Sean Spears will get a phone call. And it came from none other than MJF. MJF told Sean Spears to tell Warlow to get the champagne for him because after he wins the Dynamite diamond ring for the third time tonight he wants to have a victory party and whenever sean spears told warlow this warlow didn't look amused he looks like he was starting to get really tired of being like the guinea pig and be like the running man in the pinnacle so you could tell that warlow is about to start breaking away from the pinnacle it's coming don't know when but it's coming after this, we would get a video playing of Ty Conti and Penelope Ford uh, hyping up their match on Rampage, and it's basically going to be a submission match between the two ladies. After that video, we would get another video playing, and this time is of Malachi Black basically hyping up his formation of him building up his stable, the House of Black. The House of Black is basically going to be Malachi Black leading a legion of people under his wing, and his whole mission statement is that. We all do what we have to do for the House of Black. Nobody's bigger than the House of Black. We all are under, and we all will fall under the House of Black. We all do what we got to do for the House of Black. And the way that he initiates people is by spraying people with the black mist in their face. And he does this in the video, and we see him whisper in the person's ear, now you're more than just a king. So, it's already been speculated, and it's already been rumored, and more than likely it's true, Uh, the man that he sprayed a black mist into is Brody King. Brody King is Malachi Black's tag team partner on the independents. Brody King is a man that comes from Ring of Honor. Brody King is just a big man, that has a lot of tattoos, and he looks like he should be with Malachi Black, but we're more than likely probably going to see him next week, because later in the night, we would get Malachi Black being challenged by Griff Garrison, Brian Pillman Jr. tried to stop Griff from uh, challenging Malachi Black because he told Griff that's what Malachi wants you to do, but Griff was so upset because Malachi sprayed Black mist into Julia Hart's face last week that Griff thinks that Brian isn't upset as he is. Brian tells him that he is, but Griff isn't trying to hear it. He's just so full of anger and vitriol that he just wants to get at Malachi Black. So he does throw the challenge out there for next week, him to go against Malachi Black, And it does get announced, and it makes it official that next week on Dynamite, it will be Malachi Black going against Griff Garrison. Anyway, after this video plays, we get a matchup between Hukaru Shida and Serena. Uh, Shida wins the match by pinfall because earlier in the match, Serena removed the top turnbuckle padding and tried to throw Shida into it, but Shida kind of didn't, like, get thrown into it. Shida reversed out of it, and they continued to... Uh, Russell until the end of the match as it was building towards the end and Serena was grabbing Sheeta's leg and trying to go for some type of uh, leg maneuver. Sheeta kicked and pushed Serena into the turnbuckle, the same exact turnbuckle that Serena removed the turnbuckle padding. So Serena hits it and she becomes unconscious. Serena is then rolled up from behind by Sheeta and that's how Sheeta gets the win. After this, we get a backstage promo from Eddie Kingston, and Kingston talks about how he's tired of 2.0 and Daniel Garcia, so he announces that on Rampage, it will be a 10-man tag of Eddie Kingston. His tag team partners will be Proud and Powerful, and the Lucha Brothers going against 2.0, Daniel Garcia, and it does get announced that their tag partners will be the acclaimed, so that's a match you will be looking forward to on Rampage. After this, now it's time for the main event. The dynamite diamond ring matchup between MGF and Dante Martin, but before the match begins, MGF gets on the mic and he upsets the Texas crowd. He calls them rednecks and he talks about how they support incest, which I don't know if they do or do not, but that is more likely. MGF just trying to get the crowd pissed off at him and boom, some more. MGF then talks about how CM Punk was in New uh, New York last week. Matter of fact, more specifically. Long Island last week, and he was doing nothing but hitting up on their sports team, the New York Islanders, for 10 minutes straight when CM Punk talked about how MGF was grabbing low-hanging fruit. MGF compared to CM Punk doing that last week and talking about their sports team that was low-hanging fruit. He mentioned how CM Punk is talking about how he should be next in line for a championship opportunity. MGF made this example. He said that, I didn't know winning underwhelming matches against underwhelming talent made you next to line for a world championship uh, opportunity. I just think that makes you the new Ryback. And he throws Ryback out there because that's exactly what Ryback did at WWE. Ryback came in in, what, 20, 2012. And he was a dominant big man, but the only thing he would do is beat up local talent never the main top guys or even mid-card guys it was nothing but local like jobber talent and he was getting like the Goldberg push and that's basically what MGF is trying to say with CM Punk. CM Punk is beating low-level talent. He hasn't really raising up to the fact that he has to beat like the mid-cars, the higher up guys to even deserve in the championship uh contendership. He finished off by saying that he's gonna become a three-time dynamite diamond ring champion So, then we get uh, Dante Martin to come out, and we get the match between MGF and Dante Martin. MGF does win the match by submission thanks to Ricky Starks. Dante Martin hits his double springboard and moonsault on MGF, and he covers him, and MGF is close to the ropes, but Ricky puts MGF's foot on the bottom rope, and, and Ricky informs the referee that MGF's foot's on the bottom rope, and you see the referee look at Ricky and he shouts at Ricky because Ricky wasn't around the match that whole entire time, but somehow he poofs out of nowhere and he's just there to inform him that MGF's foot's on the bottom rope. So the referee smells shenanigans. He starts yelling at Ricky to get back, go to the back, and Dante Martin's looking at Ricky because he knows Ricky just screwed him out of being the Dynamite uh, Diamond Ring champion. And once Dante Martin goes back to go to MJF. MJF grabs uh, Dante by the arm and locks in the salt of the earth arm bar and Dante Martin does tap out. After the match, MJF gets presented with the new and approved Dynamite Diamond Ring. The Dynamite Diamond Ring this time looks like a Super Bowl ring, but it just has AEW like big and in the middle of the ring. So it makes sense for him to have a Dynamite uh, Diamond Ring looking like a Super Bowl ring because now when he does hit people in the face with it, Is really going to look like this thing's going to hurt instead of that squared uh, ring that he did have for the past two years that he was winning the Dynamite Diamond Ring. Anyway, he gets presented with the ring. FTR comes down to celebrate with MJF, and they put him on their shoulders, and they lift him up in celebration. Then the lights go out, and their arena's completely dark for 20 to 30 seconds. But then when the lights pop back on, Darby, Allen, and Sting are right behind FTR. And you see them shove FTR into the ropes, which means MGF goes falling over the ropes and onto the ground on the outside of the ring. So Darby and Sting start beating up FTR, and it looks like a nice little uh, back-and-forth situation between FTR and Darby and Sting. And it happens to be this way until MGF joins in and attacks both Darby and Sting. So now it's a three-on-two situation and Darby and Sting are getting beat up by FTR until CM Punk music hits, and he comes running down with Sting's black baseball bat. Once Punk enters the ring, MGF and FTR leaves the ring, and Punk grabs the mic, and he lets FTR and MGF know that next week on Dynamite, it will be those three against Punk and Darby Allen and Sting next week, so it will be a six-man tag team match. Personally, that's the match I want to see. Because we're gonna see MGF actually wrestle, wrestle on Dynamite, and we get to see him actually get to, like, wrestle with his stablemates. Because MGF doesn't do that. MGF hasn't wrestled with his stablemates since uh, Blood and Guts. Usually, it just be MGF in like one on one competition, and if anything of that nature is usually on pay per views. So it's a rarity that we get MGF to wrestle on Dynamite. So I'm happy that we're gonna get this match next week, and Punk teaming up with Darby and Sting. It's going to be an interesting little uh, look for those three men, but hey, it's going to be fun. So I can't wait for that. But anyway, that is the end of your AEW Dynamite highlights of the week. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with Rohit Raju with Raj Singh in his corner going against Josh Alexander. Josh wins the match by pinfall when Josh hits Rohit with a C4 spike to end the match. It was a great match to open up Impact Wrestling. There's no shame in that. I mean, it was a good match. I expected what I expected, and I know what to get from these two. I know this is basically just leading up to Josh Alexander going against Jonah, and it does get announced that Josh will face Jonah at Hard to Kill. So, this match served its purpose. After this, we get a backstage interview with the Good Brothers and Violence by Design. They ask how this alliance between these two uh, teams basically came together. Carl Anderson mentioned that violence by design came to them with a plan to take out two top tag teams in Impact, which they're talking about Rich Swann and Willie Mack and Heath and Rhino, and that Good Brothers said that makes a good business plan. And they mentioned how they don't trust violence by design, but this is just business for them. Eric Young states that this is a business deal between these two tag teams. This isn't about trust in that as long as they get the job done, Everything's going to be good on both ends. After this backstage interview, we get another backstage interview, but this time it's with Chelsea Green. And she mentions how she's in the first ever Knockouts Ultimate X match. And she understands that this moment is historic. And she says that the world will be waiting for her to face either Mickie James or Diana Perrazzo when she wins the Ultimate X match. It becomes the new number one contender for the Knockouts Championship on the exact same night that her fiance, Matt Cardona, will walk out Impact World Champion. Moose then walks up behind Chelsea and wishes her good luck in her match. And Moose tells her that she is a good wrestler and that she's very loyal. And he then proceeds to call Matt Cardona a mid and said women in this business usually don't stay with men like Matt Cardona, guys that are Meg card and that will remain Meg Carters for the rest of their lives. Because this business is not meant for women to do that. They usually... Are social climbers. So that's the kind of uh, talk that Moose was giving to Chelsea, just basically trying to get under Chelsea Green's skin. After this, we get now time for a tag team match: Joe Doring and Doc Gallows with Carl Anderson and Violence by Design in their corner, going against Willie Mack and Rich Swan, who has Heath and Rhino in their corner. Joe Doring and Doc Gallows would win the match by pinfall when Joe and Doc hit a double choke slam on Willie Mack for the win. It was a good tag team match. I mean, I know what to expect. Again, another good tag team match. There's nothing that went wrong. There was two big men going against a small man and a power man team. It was a straight, solid, good tag team match. After the match, Heath and Rhino come into the ring to look after Willie Mack to see if he's good, but then they get attacked by the Good Brothers and all members of violence by design and the numbers are too much for rich Heath Rhino and Willie Mac. until Eddie Edwards comes running down with his Kindle stick to even the odds. And they start actually able to beating up on the good brothers and violence by design and even send them up the ramp, uh, just retreating. So it looks like it's probably going to be a hard to kill of 10 man tag. That's where I see this leading up to, but they hasn't announced that yet, but that's where I see this leading. We go backstage now and we see Jonah talking to the camera and he explains what the meaning of top dog means. He tells a story about how his father was in jail and on his first day of jail, he got hit behind the head by a top guy, a tall man. And whenever he hit the ground, the police guard came up to him and asked him what happened. His father mentioned how he slipped and that Him not snitching on the big man made the guy, Jonah's father, earn the big man's respect. And that gave him the respect of the top dog. He talks about how whenever he got into Impact and he attacked Josh and he beat up on Josh, Josh could have just stayed down and earned Jonah's respect. But he didn't. And he got up. So now at Hard to Kill, he's going to beat him and beat him. And beat him until he stays down and he earns the top dog's respect. So, at Hard to Kill, is basically going to be Jonah just basically trying to murder or just beat the devil out of Josh Alexander. And Josh Alexander trying to do the exact same thing. That's at least one match I want to see. Uh, after this, we get a matchup between John Skyler and Trey Miguel, the X Division champion. Trey Miguel wins the match by pinfall when he hits the Meteora on Skyler. another straight match. After the match, Trey walks up the entrance ramp and poses with his X Division Championship, but he gets attacked from behind by Steve Macklin. Uh, When Trey is down on the ground, Macklin grabs the X Division Championship and waits for Trey to get up. And once Trey does, Macklin runs over to Trey and hits him with the X Division Championship in the face. Macklin then decides that he's going to drag Trey's uh, body to the back. And once we go to commercial break, and we come back, we see Trey Miguel strung up in the, well, like, held up with his arms tied up in a blindfold on, and Macklin says, I'm surprised that with you being such a friendly guy, you don't have friends around here to actually care for you, but I do, I care for you, and he tells Trey that, listen, Scott D'Amore telling me no, that means nothing to me, I'm gonna get my shot one way or another, so this is basically just a uh, scare tactic that Macklin's using to try to get his another opportunity at the exhibition championship. Will it work? I don't know. It probably will. This is wrestling. After this, it's time for Chris Bay with Hickaleo in his corner to go against Laredo Kid chris bay wins the match by pinfall when both laredo kid and chris bay are on the top turnbuckle and laredo pushes chris bay off the top turnbuckle and bay was able to land on his feet but he does an impressive backflip first and then lands on his feet then laredo goes for a jumps and hits a crossbody but before he is able to nail that crossbody chris bay catches him in midair with the cutter and covers him for the win it's basically an rko out of nowhere ladies and gentlemen Chris Bay was able to hit a fancier RKO out of nowhere to get the win on Laredo Kid. It was a solid match. It would have been better if they didn't have so many shenanigans because Hikaleo kept on interfering in the match, interfering and interfering. It would have been better, and it would have been a classical-style matchup between two high flyers if Hikaleo didn't interfere so much. But I get it. It's Bullet Club's way of doing business, so... I understand why Hikaleo kept on interfering. He's just bullet club, but I just wish they would have toned down on Hikaleo interfering. Just, just a smidget. Uh They then show a video of Diana Peraza showing up at Ring of Honor's pay-per-view uh, last Saturday, Final Battle, and I'll get to that Final Battle pay-per-view at the end of the episode, I guarantee you. And... At the pay-per-view, we see Diana walking up to the Ring of Honor World Champion, Roxy, and she lets Roxy know that once she takes the knockout title from Mickey James, she wants to have a match against Roxy, and it will be a winner-take-all match. Every championship basically on the line. The Ring of Honor World Championship, the Knockouts World Championship, and even probably the AAA Women's Championship. And I don't know who's going to win that, more than likely Deanna Purrazzo, but we'll see if that match ever does happen. Then we go to a video of earlier in the day when Deanna Perazzo and Matt Raywalt are doing fan signings, and Mickey James walks up to him, and Mickey just happens to antagonize Deanna Perazzo at the table. Mickey then decides to leave, but Deanna follows Mickey from behind and attacks Mickey. And now you see these two women fighting as the fans are watching this happen. You see the impact. Employees have to get in between the two ladies and separate them, and you still see them mouthing off to each other and then now we see them inside Scott Demore's office, and you see Mickey sitting on one chair, and then on the opposite end, like, facing off from her, is Deanna Prazo and Matthew ray sitting on a couch, and it's Scott Demore and Gail Kim are there. They let them know that this thing between both of these two ladies have gone too far, and that they're reinstating the no-touch policy, meaning that Mickey can't touch Deanna, and Deanna can't touch Mickey, and they also add that Matt cannot touch Mickey, because if Matt does touch Mickey. he is going to get fired gail lets the ladies know that their match at hard to kill will be a texas death match since they will be in texas for that pay-per-view and it also will be for the knockouts championship now it's time to go for our next matchup it is tenille dashwood with madison rain and caleb in her corner going against one half of the knockouts tag team champions jesse mckay with the other half uh casey lee in her corner Basically, Billy Kay going against Tanio Dashwood and Peyton Royce on the uh, outside of the ring. If you don't know who these two ladies are, I'll give you their WWE names. Um, Tanio wins the match by pinfall thanks to Caleb because Jesse had the match won when she hit Tanio Dashwood with a big boot and the pinder, but Caleb pulled the referee out of the ring. Then Casey got into Caleb's face and slapped him. Then you see Madison attacking Casey from behind. And then you see Jesse leave the ring to attack Madison from behind. And then once Jesse got into the ring, you see Caleb grab her by the foot and trip her. And this allowed Tennille Dashwood to hit the spotlight kick on uh, Jesse's face and cover for the win. So Tennille Dashwood gets the win again by Caleb's uh, involvement in the matchup. Now it's time for your main event segment. It's time for the contract signing between all three men that are going to be competing at Hard to Kill for the Impact World Championship, W. Morrissey, Matt Cardona, who comes down with his fiance Chelsea Green, and the champion, Moose. Morrissey lets all the other competitors know that everybody knows what happens at contract signings, and this isn't going to happen here. He lets them know that I came here for one thing, and one thing only. I came here to win championships, and he stayed the same course. He always has made it knowing that this business isn't about making friends, and he's not here to make friends, and he looks at Moose when he says this, and he signs the contract, and then he leaves the ring. Matt Cardona gets on the mic, and he lets Moose know that Moose can't kill his passion for professional wrestling, and you can't count out Matt Cardona, and he talks about how he's the most counted out man in professional wrestling, but you can never count him out. He's hard to kill, and that the pay-per-view is going to be definitely hard to kill Matt Cardona from leaving uh, Impact without the world championship, and he signs the contract. Moose gets on the microphone, and he tells him, Matt, do you really want me to sign this contract? Because you don't want me to do this. You don't want me to shatter your dreams like that. Matt tells him that the more you delay this contract signing, the more you're proving my point that you're afraid to face me, and you're afraid that I will win the championship at Hard to Kill. Moose tells him that he's he isn't afraid of him, and Matt will fail like he always does, and Matt tells him to sign the contract. Moose does sign the contract, and now it's official. They have their match at Hard to Kill. Moose then focuses attention on Chelsea Green. He says that Chelsea is loyal, and she's loyal because she happens to stay with someone that is so average his whole entire career. He then continues to throw jabs at Matt Cardona by calling him Meg Cardona, and a guy that's average and he will never ever be the top guy and he finishes off by saying once he beats Matt at hard to kill will Chelsea leave him like the whore she is and this upsets Matt to the point that he hits Moose in the head with the microphone but Moose quickly grabs Matt Cardona's head and bashes his head right on the table then you see Matt jump across the table and start fighting Moose and he was able to get a couple good hits off but Moose ultimately got the better of Matt Cardona and he put Matt through the table with a Yuranagi Moose leaves the ring and you see Chelsea looking after Matt and seeing if he's okay. And you see Scott D'Amour, uh yelling at Moose as Moose is walking up the ramp, but Moose stops midway on the ramp and he turns around and he looks at Matt Cardona and he goes back into the ring and he puts a chair in between Matt's, well, he puts Matt's head in between a chair because he opens it up and puts Matt's head in between it. He grabs a steel chair and he looks like he's about to bash that chair on Matt's uh head to make Matt just completely be out of the match at hard to kill. Him. But Chelsea Green grabs Moose's chair. And now you see Moose look at Chelsea and now you see him pull on the chair and Chelsea won't let go. He does it again. Chelsea won't let go. He does it again. Chelsea won't let go. He does it one more time. Chelsea lets go. And then when Moose turns around and he's about to hit Matt, he sees Matt Cardona with a chair and he swings it. Matt Cardona swings the chair at Moose. Moose ducks it and Matt hits Chelsea green. Moose quickly gets out of the ring and he's smiling because he now knows that Matt Cardona hit his own fiance with the steel chair and it's all because of him and he's happy that Matt Cardona basically has taking his eye off of the World Championship now. So at Hard to Kill, it's basically going to be way more easier for him to beat Matt Cardona now since he's his eye's off the prize. And we see Matt Cardona calling for a referee. He's calling for help. And you see referees. You see backstage people. And you see Scott DeMore come in the ring to check on Chelsea Green as we see Moose just smiling as he's walking up the ramp into the back. And that's the end of your Impact Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with Paul Heyman standing outside with the Universal Championship as he's waiting for Roman Reigns' vehicle to arrive because Paul knows he has the answer for his actions of last week. And if you haven't watched last week's episode of SmackDown, it was basically Paul Heyman basically hyping up Brock Lesnar. And even at one point during his hype up, he said, the future reigning defending Universal Champion. As you know, the Universal Champion right now is Roman Reigns, the man that Paul Heyman is managing at the moment so paul knows he has the answer for this so that's the reason why he's waiting for roman reigns in the parking lot but that's what happens now but after this we go to the in-ring and now it's time for in-ring competition of a tag team match between tony storm and sasha banks going against shotzi and the smackdown women's champion charlotte flair the team of tony storm and sasha banks win the match by pinfall when Charlotte was going up to the top turnbuckle and looking to hit her moonsault, but Tony Storm moved out of the way and Charlotte landed on her feet. Then Charlotte tried to hit a standing moonsault, but Tony lifted up her knees and Charlotte's face hit one of Tony's knees. Then Tony was able to roll up Charlotte Flair for the win. So Tony now has a win against Charlotte Flair. So more than likely she'll probably get a championship opportunity down the line. We go backstage now in the new day or Backstage, and King Woods is now sitting in his new, freshly pearly white throne as he is surrounded by a group of wrestlers, uh, the Indicator champion Nakamura, Rick Boogs, uh, Ricochet, Drew Gulak, and monsor They were all chanting up, Hail King Woods with Kofi Kingston standing next to Woods. Even at one point, Woods... Uh, Bend his hand over to Rick Boogs to kiss the hand of the Kings. And Boogs does do it. And then you get the Usos interrupting the proceedings. It says that Woods looks ridiculous with this new crown on his head. And tell him that he's cosplaying as a king. King Woods tell him didn't they get enough of the butt kicking that they took last week. The New Day say that at day one they're going to beat the Usos and become the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. The Usos tell them that they're going to beat him tonight and also at day one. So we do get confirmed that the Usos will be facing a new day later tonight in a tag team competition. We go to a backstage interview with Natalia. Natalia basically states that Lee had no business getting into Natalia's business last week when Lee saved Naomi. She makes it known that if Zalee gets in her business again, she's going to be the one needing protection. Now we go to entering competition as a tag team match. Uh, between the Viking Raiders and Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Viking Raiders win the match by pinfall when Ivar goes to the top turnbuckle and delivers a big body splash onto Shanky for the win. This was nothing to write about and talk about. It was just what it is. Fill-up time. Uh, we go backstage now. We see Paul Heyman still standing outside waiting for Roman's car to pull up and we we do see a car pull up. Paul walks up to the door. He pulls it open. He says, My tribal chief and." It's not Roman who walks out of the car. It's Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar walks out of the car. He's smiling and he tells Paul, you respected someone else. Paul tells Brock, "Uh, yeah, I was expecting someone else. Brock says, hmm, maybe someone like Roman Reigns. Brock then taps Paul on the shoulder and tells him, good luck with that. And walks away. Because Brock knows that Paul's going to have a Rough night tonight with Roman. He knows this. That's why he walks away. Now we go to in-ring, and it is Happy Talk with Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. I'm not going to lie to you. I tuned this whole thing out. This thing is so dumb, but the main point of it was that they had Drew McIntyre's uh, sword still in the desk that they took last week. They have it in the ring, and they try to do uh a King Arthur bit. They try to take the sword out of the desk. Madcap Moss couldn't do it. Happy Corbin couldn't do it. Both of them couldn't do it. Then you see Drew McIntyre come out, beat up both of them, and he takes the sword out of the desk, and he scares off uh, Corbin and Madcap Moss, to the point that later in tonight you see Drew McIntyre walking around backstage looking for Madcap and Happy Corbin. And then further along later in the night, we will see Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss being interviewed by a backstage interviewer, and they are still hiding out from... Drew and Corbin tells the interviewer that at day one, Madcap Moss will be going against Drew McIntyre. Madcap doesn't look happy about this, but he keeps a brave face on in front of his boy, Corbin. Anyway, back to proceedings. Uh, We go backstage now. We see Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville inside their office, and Sami Zayn walks in to meet them and wish them a happy holidays. Sonya and Adam don't uh think Sami's... Uh, Being gracious with this and being wholehearted with his Happy Holidays greetings, so they ask him, what does he want? Sammy says, it's not what I want, it's what I'm owed. I'm owed a match for the Universal Championship because Roman and Brock kind of screwed me over. And Sammy mentions how last year, whenever he lost the Intercontinental Championship, he never got his dude match for the Intercontinental Championship. Adam tells me, you know what? You're right. I'll give you a gift. Because you love the Intercontinental Championship so much... I'm gonna put you in the 12-man gauntlet next week, and the winner will get a shot at the Intercontinental Champion. How about that? Sammy takes it and then he just leaves the office. So next week we're gonna get a 12-man gauntlet match. After this, we get Rich Holland with Sheamus in his corner going against Cesaro. But before the match even starts, Holland hits uh Cesaro in the side with the Billy Club. So now you see Cesaro holding his side where he got it where he got hit at, and we go to commercial break. When we come back from commercial break, Cesaro's ribs and size has been taped up and he goes on with the match. Ridge does win the match by pinfall thanks to uh Sheamus because when Cesaro was about to well get back in the ring, he got distracted by Sheamus. Ridge happens to hit Cesaro in the sides, and then lifts him up and hits the Emerald Fusion to pin and beat Cesaro. Then after the match, Holland does kick Cesaro right in the ribs again to send Cesaro out of the ring. So now Sheamus is holding up the hand of Ridge Holland. This is a, another feud that I understand why they're doing it. Again, to uh, kill time and also to build up Ridge Holland. But I would rather say this for the Royal Rumble. That's that's the only thing that really like gets me. Just get to the Royal Rumble so we can get through with this. Uh, Naomi comes out. And she's in her ring gear and she goes out to the ring. She gets on the microphone and states that she still wants her one-on-one match with Sonya Deville that she didn't truly get last week. So Sonya comes out and tells Naomi that when she has her business suit on, Naomi can't touch her. So Sonya continues to walk to the ring and tells Naomi that I do have a replacement for you and she's been waiting and chomping at the bits to get her hands on you. And she reveals that it is Shayna Baszler. Naomi challenges Sonya to get into the ring, which Sonya does do, but this is only a a distraction for Shayna Baszler to attack uh, Naomi from behind and hit one of her legs. So, Shayna starts doing a little bit more damage onto Naomi's legs. Sonya Deville gets a referee out there, and she starts the match between Naomi and Shayna Baszler. Naomi wants the match by pinfall, because as soon as the match begins... Shayna Baszler locks in Naomi's uh, leg in for a heel hook, but Naomi was able to push up out of it. Well, technically, push up on Shayna Baszler and put Shayna Baszler's uh, elbows to the mat. And as long as your elbows are on the mat, you're being pinned. So, Naomi was able to pin her that way and get the win. After the match, Naomi gets in Sonya Deville's face And they have a little mouth-off between each other, and then Naomi decides to walk off. So this tells you that the feud between Naomi and Sonya Deville are not through yet. Now it's time for the main event tag team of the night. The Uso is going against The New Day. You know it's going to be a good tag team match. It's hard for it not to be when it consists of The New Day and The Usos. The New Day win the match by pinfall when King Woods distracts the referee when Jimmy tags in Jay Uso. Jay then goes to the top turnbuckle, and he's about to jump on Kofi who is laid out on the mat right now but the referee goes to Jay and tell him that he's not the legal man Jay tells the referee that he got tagged in by his brother but Woods goes over to Jay and pushes him off the top turnbuckle and Jay hits the ground Jimmy then tells the referee that he tagged in Jay and then he walks over to get Kofi Kofi pops to his feet and hits Jimmy with the trouble in paradise and covers him for the win so the Usos have been beaten by the New Day, and the New Day goes into day one with a one victory over the Usos. Now we go backstage to the parking lot, and we see Paul Heyman still waiting there for Roman Reigns' car to pull up, and guess who car pulls up? Roman Reigns' car. Paul goes to the uh, driver backside door, and he opens it up, and he says, my tribal chief, but Roman doesn't go out that way. He exits out the car, the opposite side of the vehicle, and he walks to the front hood of the car. Paul falls behind him. Roman doesn't even look at Paul, and he says, let's go to the ring. And Paul falls behind Roman, and that's where we're off to next. The main event segment of the night, Roman Reigns is in the ring with his cousins, the Usos, and Paul Heyman. Roman starts off by saying, you know how much I hate my cousins losing, right? And then he goes over to Jay, puts his arm on Jay, puts his arm on Jimmy, and he tells him, but you know what? You guys are my blood. You guys are my family, and I can understand that, and we can get over that. Then he looks at Paul and tells him, but you, you're not blood. You're not family. And he tells Paul how last week he seemed a little shady to him, because even though Roman wasn't here on SmackDown, he sees and hears everything. So, he asked Paul again the exact same questions that he asked him months ago. He asked him, did he know Brock was going to be at SummerSlam? Did he know that Brock was going to be at Madison Square Garden? Did he know that Brock's suspension would be lifted? Paul wasn't able to answer none of these questions because he had a stunned look on his face and he just looked so concerned that Roman was going to do something to him. So, Roman then asks Paul, are you a special counsel or are you an advocate? Paul tries to get the microphone from Roman Reigns, but Roman doesn't give him his microphone. Paul then goes and gets another mic, and he's still looking shocked, and he's trying to get his composure because he has so much emotion in his face, and he's trying to get himself right, and he looks Roman in the eye as he's about to say something. Roman tells him, Before you say anything, I want you to acknowledge me with the truth. And then Roman asks Paul, Why are you protecting Brock from me? Paul looks Roman dead in the eye, and he says this. I'm protecting you from Brock Lesnar. By Paul just telling Roman that he is protecting Roman from Brock Lesnar, that means that Roman was never ever that threat that Roman thought he was. He was the prey. Never, ever the hunter. So, Roman just got a big shot in the chest when he heard this, and he just looks down in anger as you hear the Usos in the back telling Roman that he needs to jump Paul, he needs to get him for disrespecting him, disrespecting the family. The Usos were hyping up Roman so bad during the segment after Paul said what he said to Roman, that Roman just... Held his composure. He walked over to Paul and gave him a hug. And Roman tells Paul this. I love you, wise man. I love you too, my tribal chief. And I thank you for your honesty. I I thank you, my tribal chief. And I thank Thank you you for 40 years of service to my family. I love you, my tribal chief. And you're fired. Roman lets go with Paul Heyman. He stares at him one more time. He turns his back on Paul. And then he quickly turns around and hits Paul with a Superman punch. Jimmy and Jay are now just so smiling about this now that they got Paul out of Roman's business that they are jumping up and down for joy. Roman tells Jay to go out and get a steel chair. Jay goes outside the ring, grabs a steel chair, hands it to Roman. Roman tells Jay, get another steel chair. Jay said he wants another steel chair. He's going to get another steel chair. He gives Roman another steel chair. Roman puts Paul Heyman's head on top of one steel chair, and then he grabs that chair from Jay, and now he's about to set up to hit Paul with a concerto, but Brock Lesnar's music hits, and like Brock does, he comes down to save his advocate, and he runs down to the ring, and Roman sends the Usos after Brock, but to no avail because Brock decimates the Usos, and he hits both of them with F5s to the outside of the ring. Brock then gets inside the ring, but he's met with Roman in a steel chair as Roman's hitting Brock Lesnar's back with a steel chair over and over again, but that comes to no avail because Roman gets double un, doubled, uh, leg hooked quickly by Brock. Brock was able to subdue Roman and then quickly grab him up and put him up into an F5 in F5 Roman. Then he picks up Roman again and hits him with another F5. So SmackDown is what's... Roman basically firing Paul Heyman, kicking him out of the Uso bloodline, and Brock Lesnar having his advocate back. So, that is basically your ending segment and your ending last like image of SmackDown with Brock standing tall above Roman and his family. And that's the SmackDown highlights of the week. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage opened up with an eight-man tag match with the Super Click and Bobby Fish with Brandon Cutler in their corner. Going against the best friends was consists of Trent, Chuck Taylor, Orange Cassidy, and Rocky Romero with Wheeler Uter in their corner. The best friends and Rocky Romero win the match by pinfall when Trent hits Bobby Fish with a strong zero for the win. The strong zero is basically uh, Yoshi Tonic. Uh, yeah, it's be- if you don't know Yoshi Tonic, it's basically another word for, like, a variation of the Deadeye. The same move that Adam Page does. It's just a different variation of it. Anyway, uh, it was a great start. It was a great match to start off Rampage. No uh, missing beats between all eight of these men. They all worked together before, and they're all used to each other's wrestling style. So it was a great match to start off uh, Rampage. After this, we had Dan Lamberg in the minute of the year in the ring for an in-ring promo. Dan talks about how everybody at AEW sucks up to Tony Khan and how AEW first started off as a company that Tony stated that he was just a fan of the wrestling business and he wanted to give wrestlers opportunities that they didn't get in other companies. But now Tony is just basically taking his friendships with certain wrestlers and giving them championship matches that they don't earn. And he talks about how Cody has somehow got a championship match against Sammy. Because he's a part, because he's one of Tony Khan's friends, and also because he's an EVP in AEW, Cody Rhodes comes out and goes to the ring. As soon as Cody gets in the ring, he grabs the mic away from Dan Lambert. Dan then grabs the mic back from Cody, and then you see Cody and Dan Lambert quickly start doing this whole back and forth thing with Cody grabbing the mic, Dan grabbing the mic, back and forth thing until Cody finally grabs the mic, holds it throws the mic up to Dan Lamberg so he can catch it, and then he punches Scorpio's guy in the face. Then Cody is attacked by both Dan Lamberg and Ethan Page, so now it's a three-on-one attack, until Dustin Rhodes comes out and tries to hold up against Dan and the men of the year. And he does hold off a good bit, but the numbers game is still too much. It's three-on-two beat down until Sam McVarrow comes out and he makes the save. He kicks Ethan Page in the head, and then he hits a springboard cutter, on Scorpio Sky, and then he uh, clothesline Ethan Page outside of the ring, sending the men of the year and Dan Lambert back up the ramp to the back. And then Sammy Guevara looks at Cody as Cody is sitting down in next to one of the uh, turnbuckles, and he's just trying to hold his arm to make sure he's good. Sammy looks at Cody and just gives him a head nod because they will be going against each other next week on a Christmas edition of. AEW Rampage so yes Rampage will not be airing on a Friday it will be airing on a Christmas night and Christmas is on a Saturday so you guys will not be getting a Rampage on the Wrestling Highlights of the week you guys will be getting the Rampage uh predict well not predictions the Rampage results on the Sunday episode of my uh podcast so I just want to let you guys know that for next week's episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week after this, we get a submission match between Penelope Ford with the bunny in her corner going against Ty Conti with Anna Jade in her corner. Uh, Ty makes Penelope tap out when she catches Penelope running off the ropes and locks her into a chokehold, but locks in Penelope's hands with her legs. So Penelope technically can't fight out of it, and then she has to, like, tap out. Uh, the match was straight. There was nothing bad about it. Again, uh, these are two women that... Just got to work on a little bit of things. They're coming into their own. Ty especially is coming into their own because you get on television a lot more. And, um, yeah, again, solid match. Nothing really to harp about. After this, now it's time for the AEW Rampage main event. Uh, The 10-man tag of Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful and the Lucha Brothers going against 2.0, Daniel Garcia and the Acclaimed. 2.0, 2.0, Daniel Garcia and the Acclaim win the match by pinfall when Daniel Garcia rolls up Eddie Kingston and holds his tights for the win. After the match, however, Daniel Garcia and company attack Eddie Kingston. They hold up Eddie Kingston and allowing Anthony Bowens of the Acclaim to hit Kingston in the head with his boombox. And as you see Kingston drop down, you hear Jurassic Express music hits. And you see Daniel and the rest of his comrades looking up at the entrance ramp to see the Jurassic Express come down. But they don't come down from the entrance ramp. They sneak behind them and enter the ring behind Daniel and the rest of his company and attacks all of them. And Jurassic Express, with Christian Cage, is able to clear the ring of the bad guy team. And that's it. Jungle Boy picks up the AEW Tag Team Championships. And you see the Lucha Brothers looking at Jungle Boy as he's holding both of the belts up. Jungle Boy hands the Lucha Brothers their tag team titles. And then you see Jungle Boy extends his hand out for Phoenix to shake. While uh, Luchasaurus puts his fist out for Penta to fist bump him. They do that. And it's been solidified that we're probably going to get that tag team match sooner rather than later. Because it doesn't get announced nowhere on Dynamite next week. It doesn't get announced on Rampage next week. But probably... Not next week, obviously, but the week after that, we're probably going to get that match. Or if not that, the week following, like, the first week of the new year for their uh, New Year's, like, smash that they're doing. So, uh, that's a match I'm looking forward to where Jurassic Express going against the Lucha Brothers for the AEW Tag Team titles. Anyway, but that is your AEW Rampage Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk about two things. Well, two topics real quick. Uh, Kevin Owens, his contract has not expired. As a matter of fact, he re-upped thanks to a report from FIFO Selects on Sean Ross Sap. He has confirmed that Kevin Owens has signed a multi-year deal with uh, WWE, so Kevin Owens will be remaining in WWE. It was speculated it hasn't been numbered like wise how much he'll get, but they say like in the high seven figures. People have been speculating like the 2 to $3 million range per year. I'm not sure, but if he got that, that was good for Kevin Owens because AEW has been raking in the talent that WWE has been letting go this past year. So it's good for WWE to keep Kevin Owens on their roster, especially if Kevin Owens would have went to AEW. I'm not sure what Kevin Owens would have did. I know he would have found a way because AEW makes a ways for talent that's like they know the what they can do with them. But AEW has so much talent on their hands. And I mean, they're just busting out the seams with talent. I mean, you got Malachi Black, uh, Miro, you got Andrade, you got Cody, you got the Young Bucks, you got Lucha Bros, you got Jurassic Express, you got CM Punk, Brian Danielson, uh, Hangman Page, you got. Um, uh, Christian, if you want to throw him in, he's still a marketable guy himself too. You got Sammy Guevara, you have MJF, you have the Pinnacle, you have uh, the Inner Circle, you have the Dark Order. I mean, you have so many talented individuals in there and I'm probably even forgetting even more people like Team Taz with Ricky Starks and Hook. I mean, AEW is overflowing with people. Oh yeah, Darby Allin and Sting. I don't want to disrespect them neither, but I'm probably disrespecting a lot of other people for not remembering their names. And at this moment, but AEW has so much talent, and probably with the addition of Kyle O'Reilly, if he shows up next week on Dynamite, that's just a big if, because remember, Adam Cole said he has a gift for the Young Bucks next week on Dynamite, and they're actually going to enjoy this gift, is it speculated Kyle O'Reilly showing up, but who's to know? But, AEW has so much talented talented individuals on the roster, just having Kevin Owens, or Kevin Steen, or whoever you want to announce them, on that roster, That just would have added another cherry on top, but by God, dude, you got so much people with so little camera time. I don't know how AEW fits everybody in. They have a rotating deal with them. You haven't seen Private Party for a minute, but one and a half of Mark Quinn has been injured. He mentioned that, so that's the reason why we haven't seen Private Party around a lot, but again, AEW, a lot of talent, so... Kevin Owens going over to AEW would have been a good fit, but I just don't know how great of a fit it would have been as much as it is right now in WWE, with WWE losing so much talented people thanks to their own cuts of their own, but Kevin Owens staying in WWE is a good thing for Kevin Owens because he gets TV time, he's going to be in slotted uh, positions as he needs to be because Kevin Owens is a main event talent and Vince and everybody else knows that so I'm glad that Kevin Owens did stay with WWE just want to throw that out there if you want to go to AEW he still to win fine too but I think right now in particular it's WWE is a better fit for him in television in camera time that's just my opinion on this and I want to end it with Ring of Honor Ring of Honor last week had their uh, final pay per view for now, as they speculated. Uh, the pay per view was called Final Battle. Is this is their yearly wrap up uh, pay per view that they have in December. Um, I mean, I didn't see the pay per view. I heard about it, I saw the highlights about it. Um, what I did see were like the big shocking moments, like um, the man formerly known as Braun Strowman. He showed up in ring of honor with ec3 and ec3's whole group of uh people that are want to control their narrative he looks leaned out he looks like not big and bulky as he did but he looks shredded now in ring of honor so i mean if ring of honor does come back they have him because ec3 is technically with ring of honor at that time so i'm not sure but anyway he showed up there we had the briscoes beating uh Matt Taven and Mike Bennett to be 12-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. And after the match uh, went off, uh, the lights went out. And when the lights popped back on, FTR was in the ring apron and they were staring down with the Briscoes. And they just start, like, fighting each other. So, I mean, we got that program ready if the Briscoes do decide to go over to AEW one episode, or maybe they get signed by AEW. It's just a quick thought, because they have been going back and forth for the past two weeks now. FTR and Briscoes have been going back and forth on Twitter. So, just throwing them into AEW's business is not going to be that hard for them, because they already got uh some past, like, little digs and beef with each other at th- that particular moment. So, it wouldn't be that hard to just throw them in for that. And, The biggest thing that came out of Ring of Honor was that in the main event, it was supposed to be Jonathan Gresham going against Bandito for the Ring of Honor Championship, and Bandito is the Ring of Honor Champion, but Bandito contacted uh, COVID-19, so he couldn't show up to the event, so AEW had to send out uh, Jay Lethal to the show, so Jonathan Gresham did go against Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And they had to bring back the old, original Ring of Honor championship. The silver-plated, big, bold ROH in the middle of the plate. Real classic, real simplistic title, but it still looks uh, fine in fashion. And Jonathan Gresham beat Jay Lethal. So if they decide to come back, we're going to have a champion versus champion type deal with Bandito and Jonathan Gresham. But that's only if Bandito and Jonathan Gresham decide to not sign with any other wrestling company. Out there, as Ring of Honor is getting their finance and whatever they got to do together at this point in time. So, again, Ring of Honor is on hiatus. They had their final hurrah for what everybody is calling it uh, this past like week. But I'm only going off what ROH is saying. They're saying that they're getting things together so that they can uh, have an, uh, they can get the company back running in probably like April like, early April, mid-April-ish, and if they do, they're going to have non-contracted talent, meaning that nobody's going to be on a contract, it's only going to be, like, pay per appearance, so I'm not sure what Ring of Honor uh, ideology is going to maintain for themselves if they decide to come back, but if they do, it's going to be a welcome addition to wrestling again, because that's just one more wrestling promotion that uh, professional wrestlers can go to the home of their craft and just basically make money and probably get some television time because they're not on AEW or WWE or Impact Wrestling or these type of uh, wrestling promotions that has television. But again, uh, Ring of Honor was around for a constant 19 years. They had the big boom a couple years ago when the Bullet Club, which consisted technically of the Young Bucks and Cody, and Hangman, and uh, Adam Cole, and in Ring of Honor, and they were really running rough shot when AEW wasn't around, it didn't even exist yet, Ring of Honor and New Japan's whole like partnership, they were running wrestling, WWE, I mean it ran, WWE ran, runs wrestling, but I mean like the insider people, the people that were walking around with Bullet Club t-shirts, those were people that knew about Ring of Honor and New Japan, or they were people that just basically got on the internet hype for it. But either way, without Ring of Honor, you wouldn't have um, your favorites. You wouldn't have your Adam Coles. You wouldn't have your Christopher Daniels, your CM Punk's, your Bryan Danielsons, your Samoa Joes, your uh, The Briscoe Brothers. You wouldn't have um, Roderick Strong, you wouldn't have your Seth Rollins, you wouldn't have your Cesaros, you wouldn't have your, um, Kenny Omegas to a degree, because before Kenny went to Japan, he went over and did a couple shows in Ring of Honor, and I'm not sure without Ring of Honor, he would have been able to do what he did do in New Japan without ring of honor you wouldn't have aj styles without ring of honor you wouldn't have so many people that are so influential right now in professional wrestling that ring of honor was their first home base to really get them some type of internet notoriety so tna can uh sign them and even back in 2005 cm punk was like the first like internet big signing back in that time frame so without ring of honor cm punk wouldn't have got signed and if CM Punk didn't get signed, you wouldn't have gotten like the independent guys like getting a shot. CM Punk was really like the door guy, the guy to really like open and crack open the foundation for wrestlers that are independent to get on television and get a deal with WWE and try to at least do something. CM Punk was technically the guy to open up that door. People can try to fight me on this, but there's no debate in this. Everybody in the professional wrestling has said this about CM Punk being the guy to really be the first mainstay independent guy to get signed. It isn't just me saying it. It's everybody from that era that has said that. So that's just not a guy that's just here sitting saying this. It's people in the actual business. But point being, Ring of Honor has been so influential in professional wrestling currently, and without it, we wouldn't have so many of your favorites now. Shoot, we wouldn't even have Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal was one of the greatest Ring of Honor champions of ever. Him, Samoa Joe, Jay Briscoe, uh Brian Danielson, Adam Cole for his time that he was Ring of Honor champion, he made his time matter. CM Punk with his Summer of Punk. He made that thing memorable and he even ran that thing back in WWE in 2011. The Summer of Punk in 2011. So again, Ring of Honor is that memorable of a company that if it dies after last week's pay per view, it had a great send off. It was lasted for what it needed to do. It did what it was supposed to do. It built up many wrestlers for the future and made wrestling influential for all the other wrestlers that came by like after them. And I just want to say thank you to Ring of Honor if you do uh, die. But if you happen to come back, I can't wait to watch you guys when you guys come back and see what you guys have uh, in store in the future. But with that, that has been the topics of Wrestling highlights of the Week. Let me give you my social media tags so you guys can follow me on social media. On Twitter, you can follow me at, at my 2 podcast On Instagram, my 2 G 2 uh, My email, if you want to email me about anything. Did I miss anything? Did I not cover something right? Did I uh, say something that I probably shouldn't have said? Or anything? Remember if you're sad or depressed because remember it's the holiday times people are going through things and if you need somebody to talk to i am here my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com my the actual number two c-e-n-t-s-p-o-d at yahoo.com uh that's my email i want to thank apple Podcasts, google podcast Podbean uh amazon music and audible for still allowing me to be on all your streaming uh platforms because again you guys could kick me off but i'm glad you guys haven't i want to thank all the professional wrestling companies that have allowed me to use their uh audio clips because again you guys could be clipping me too but you guys don't so i'm glad you guys have been uh letting me use your clips so again i want to just send out that gratitude for that But with that, that has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I have been G2. You will be hearing from me next week with Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And with that, I love you all. I hope you guys listen to my episode tomorrow on Sunday, where I talk about anything and everything in the news or entertainment or anything I just find uh, relevant for me to talk about. But with that, I'll see you guys tomorrow. But if not I'll hear you you'll hear from me next week or wrestling highlights of the week. And with that this isn't goodbye this is until you hear from this sweet sounding voice again. This has been G2. Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept.